0: Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Fairfax. We hope you enjoy this sermon from a recent Sunday worship service. Our hearts are tender, resilient little muscles, and they may have wrinkles and broken edges and tears and holes, but they keep on a beating just the same, don't they? I think one of the most complicated things to figure out is how to tend to our hearts when they break. And there's plenty in the world to break our hearts these days. Today, January 22nd, is the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And in the past year, our hearts have been breaking due to the overturning of this sacred right to choose. Lives are at risk. People are suffering. Reverend Rebecca Parker writes that the power to choose is the power of life in the midst of brokenness. Without choice, tragedy, impasse, and despair are the last word. With choice, creativity, responsibility, and possibility enter the conversation. With choice, human beings enter into full personhood, becoming creative agents in the world who can transform life in the direction of greater justice, safety, and joy. Glennon Doyle's powerful book, Untamed, outlines the origins of the anti-choice movement in our country. In the 1970s, some rich and powerful straight white men began to worry about their ability to continue to racially segregate their private Christian schools and to keep their tax exempt status. The civil rights movement was putting pressure on their money and power. And they identified that anti gay and anti abortion evangelism was enough to emotionally galvanize a new movement. Mind you, most evangelical leaders prior to this time in the 1970s had been either indifferent or supported the decision, the court's decision on Roe. Not anymore. They sponsored a meeting of 15,000 pastors and called it the Religious Roundtable, where they wrote a memo, a new memo that expressed outrage, calling for a holy war to lead the nation back to the moral stance that made America great. Does that sound familiar? I wonder if they wore red hats. At this roundtable and following, they trained pastors how to convince their congregations how to vote. And then presidential candidate Ronald Reagan, who was, as the governor of California, had signed into law one of the most liberal abortion laws in the country, he began using the language of this new memo. And evangelicals were thrilled and the religious right was born. Doyle writes The face of the movement was with the pro life and pro family values stance of millions, but the blood running through the movement's veins was the racism and greed of a few. I cannot tell you how tired I grew of the focus on the family rhetoric when I was a Baptist. That was a major reason that I became a UU minister, because the focus on the family here means something entirely different. We focus on our family by adding rocking chairs to the sanctuary. We focus on our family by using the same themes in worship as we do in our small groups, creating conversations that can happen. We focus on the family by promoting choice and autonomy here. We focus on families that are gay and multiracial and blended faith. May we never use our faith to breed hate, remove choice, or lose sight of the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Some years ago, I was attending a National Organization for Women conference in Indianapolis, and the guest speaker was Reverend Catherine Ragsdale. She's the president of an Episcopal Divinity School, and I was a young woman who had not yet found Unitarian Universalism, but was raised Baptist. She spoke with clarity and grace. I admired her caller. I admired her stance behind the podium, her commanding voice. And then she said something that stunned me and got everyone's attention. She said, to my fellow clergy, too often those who support us can be heard talking about abortion as a tragedy. Let's be very clear about this. When a woman finds herself pregnant due to violence and chooses an abortion, it is the violence that is the tragedy. The abortion is a blessing. When a woman finds that a fetus she is carrying has anomalies incompatible with life, that it will not live and she requires an abortion, often a late-term abortion, to protect her life, the health of her and her fertility, it is the shattering of her hopes and dreams for that pregnancy that is the tragedy. The abortion is a blessing. When a woman who wants a child but can't afford one because she hasn't the education necessary for a sustainable job or access to health care, or daycare or adequate food, it is the abysmal priorities of our nation the lack of social supports, the absence of justice that are the tragedies, the abortion is a blessing. And then when a woman becomes pregnant within a loving, supportive, respectful relationship, has every option open to her, decides she does not wish to bear a child, and has access to a safe, affordable abortion, there is not a tragedy in sight, only a blessing. The ability to enjoy God's good gift of sexuality without compromising one's education, life's work, or ability to put to use God's gifts and call is simply blessing. She rounded out her speech with deep gratitude for all the workers and activists who worked so hard to protect this right, the doctors and nurses who stood by. And I sat stunned next to my activist comrades before we rose in applause and hollers. She had preached a good word to all of us that day and we had every right to be outraged because our work was not done. But we were able to see the tragedy for what it was, the lack of choice, and the abortion for what it was, a blessing. The tragedy is all the rollbacks on human rights. The tragedy is backwards policies that don't support life, liberty, or any pursuit of happiness. The tragedy is lawmakers who have little respect for human life, but our choice, that is a blessing. Our ability to fight and march and vote, that is a blessing. Our resolve as a faith community to call it what it is and support reproductive justice, that is a blessing. Reverend Rebecca Parker asks us, why should we keep marching to keep abortion legal and safe? Because where there is choice, there is life. Where there is life, there is hope. And where there is hope, we find ourselves holding bundles of joy in our arms. Each of us bears in our own bodies the power of holding on and of letting go. Breathe with that sentiment for a moment. Each of us bears in our own bodies the powers of holding on and of letting go. Each of our hearts contract and expand, gather and release, hold on and let go. Breathe in with the holding on and breathe out with the letting go. Our hearts will break along the way of this journey, but we hold each other with a love that will not let us go. We must hold each other in our sorrow and embody that love that will not let us go. I close today with words by Reverend Greta Jo Seidel. Everyone loves someone who had an abortion and let's talk about the flip side. If you had an abortion, you are loved. If you never told a soul or you share your story regularly, you are loved. If you are confident in your decision or if you wonder if it was the right choice, you are loved. If you are a queer, non-binary, trans, two-spirit, or a cis woman, you are are loved. If you are child-free by choice or want to have kids eventually, you are loved. If your choice was driven by medical viability or your own emotional health, you are loved. If you found a provider to care for you or if you had to rely on yourself, you are loved. If you were always pro-choice or if your choice conflicts with your beliefs, you are loved. If you love your body or if you are still angry with your body, you are loved. If you believe God loves you or if you believe in nothing divine at all, you are loved. If you find yourself reflected here, or if your truth is more than words and ink post can, you are loved. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Fairfax. To find more sermon podcasts, go to uucf.org worship hyphen services and scroll down to sermon podcasts.